Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. <laughs> the Spin Jarofsky Show. <laughs> Birthday special. Oh, yeah. It's brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana. The Chicago Federation of Labor. The Chicago Teachers Union. And <laughs> Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pot to smoke, and so much more. Including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. J-O-R. A, V is in victory, S K Y. <laughs> and the Benjarovsky show starts now. It's Benjarovsky. Hello, everybody. It's Benjarovsky here. We're calling this Happy Birthday Monroe Wednesday, and here's why: because it's Monroe's birthday. That's why, as Doctor D just pointed out. No, it's not Doctor D's birthday. No, it's not my birthday. It's Monroe Anderson's birthday, the legendary Chicago journalist, dear friend of this show, dear friend of mine. He's not here yet. He's doing his Tai Chi or he's eating his lunch or he's doing whatever he does to prepare for the show. We're going to bring him on a little bit. We have a birthday surprise for him. Surprise mystery guest will be dropping in. We'll see. Uh, this, <laughs> I don't Listen, let me just say something. I am not an ageist. I'm an old guy. So I appreciate old people, old people of the older persuasion. But I'm just going to point something out. My friends, the baby boomers, and I am a proud baby boomer. We struggle. We struggle. Oh, Lord, do we struggle with this Internet. And Dennis was just pointing out to me the look on my face because I didn't think my sound was working. That's how baby boomers are when it comes to computers, ladies and gentlemen. I just, uh, before the show today, we had a uh, reader work session. It was a very fascinating uh, discussion about power and uh, identity. Very interesting stuff. Uh, the reader was sponsoring was a workshop for all the reader people. Uh, and um, anyway, uh, I, uh, I was struggling with the computer. I'm like, oh, God, what am I doing? Where's the chat button? Help. Dave, you ever done one of those workshops? Uh, There's like a Zoom training thing, and you got to figure out. Everybody's typing. I'm like, where are they typing? How, why can't I type? <laughs> it's the chat. There's a chat on the side. Yeah, but I'm more. And then it goes like you turn the, the one point. Uh, the 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 moderator Mia. Uh, she said, "Okay, now turn off your computers." And then I was like, "Boomer fear." If I push the wrong button, the whole conversation disappears. Then what? <laughs> oh, me and my. It's like I fear, uh-oh, I push this button, I will shift all of my savings to, to, to some guy who calls me. Because I get these calls all the time about how there's flaws on my computer. But if I do this, that, and the other thing, I'll correct those flaws. Oh, yeah. I'm not falling for that. Uh, anyway, well, let's... 
What's in the news? What's in the news? I'll tell you what's in the news. Alderman Raymond Lopez of the 15th Ward announced he's going to run for mayor. He wants an answer. (laughs) He he wants an answer, right. And the mayor thinks he's full of beep. And he says, well, if you think that, beep you. Uh, But anyway, uh, yesterday we had Dave Glowatz on, and he was doing uh, his brilliant uh, breakdown of the most recent Chicago City Council meeting. Those are really good uh, bits uh, that Dave Goetz does. And so many of the clips we play feature Raymond Lopez because he's been a constant critic of Mayor Lori Lightfoot from the position of a reformer. He's somehow or other adopted the the role that used to be played by people like Scott Wagesbeck. Uh, and um, if you go way, way, way back in time, uh, Leon Dupre, people who were concerned that the mayor was over uh, using, abusing, if you will, uh, his or her power. Uh, to repress the Chicago City Council and keep it from engaging uh, in the in the process of writing laws, et cetera, and so forth. And uh, and I think these are legitimate concerns. And I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, well, where was Raylo when uh, Rahm was abusing his power? Yeah, it's a good point. I say it's a good point because I usually make that point. But better late than never. I do believe that you should have some aldermen uh, who play that role in the Chicago city council. So in many of the bits that uh, Dave Goetz plays, we hear Raymond Lopez on him in the 15th ward, engaging, uh, criticizing the the mayor, demanding uh, that she uh, play by the rules as he understands them. And as they're laid out Uh, and the particular issue yesterday on the table that we discussed was whether there should be one single city council committee to oversee all aspects of approving a casino. The mayor said yes and got the Chicago City Council to create a full committee filled with people who are her allies. It was a power move by the mayor. Very effective power move by the mayor. And uh, Raymond Lopez was arguing that she was giving herself too much power, too much authority, and she was violating the separation of powers that should exist uh, with the city council and the mayor. I want an answer. (laughs) Yes, he wanted an answer. Anyway, so when I heard this, I said to Dennis, as I've said every every time Dave Glowitz is on, I have to reach out to Raylo and book him for a show and play some of these excerpts and get him to comment on them. Be like a running commentary, you know, explaining how the city council works. And Dennis goes, that's a great idea, young man. Go book him for the show. No, I, I didn't call you a young man. <laughs> that's a little edit there from Ben. Dennis has always called me a young man. Uh, young man, that is really well put. You did a good job there. And uh, so usually I always say this after a show that I always forget. I get distracted. So this time I actually called Raylo. I get him on the phone. I say, hey, can you come on the show? Bad anything for you. Anytime. I'll come on. Yeah. I book him. We cut the deal right there. And that's one thing I like about Raylo. He's not one of these guys. Well, let me get back to my scheduler. He's like, no, nah, I'll let's go. So, um, actually, well, now that I think about it, I was a telltale sign. So, my point is, uh, yesterday he did say, I gotta just make sure we're okay. I'll let you know. Usually, he doesn't do that. And then I learned today, I woke up. Right and early, I forget what ungodly hour it was, probably a little earlier than usual because I had this reader meeting to get ready for. And there was a text from Frank, thank you, Frank, uh, which included uh, Raylo's tweet announcing he's running for mayor. And I'm like, oh, that Raylo. He didn't tell me he was running for mayor. 
<laughs> he told Marianne Ahern he yeah. was running for mayor. Once again, D, no respect. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Always the last to know. I booked the guy yesterday. I'll tell you what. We we always like to tease uh, Greg Hines, uh, Chicago's worst poker player. But I wouldn't want to play poker against Raylo. He keeps those cards close to his chest. You got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. Yeah, all the people we talk to, they all they never tell us anything. I know. You ever notice that? <laughs> and if they do, it's by accident. <laughs> Chris Welch, got those cards close to my vest. I like the guys who play, you know, like I, I like having conversations with people who just turn the cards around and show you what they are. Hey, let's play fish. Here are my cards. What do you think I should do? Oh, Raylo, you're a crafty one. He didn't reveal anything. So uh, anyway, so he's got to come on the show. He didn't reveal anything. But uh, tomorrow he'll be on the show. Raylo will be on the show. And uh, you know what? We're still going to play the, uh, the bets because I'm going to say, hey, now you're mayor. Raylo, you're not Alderman Raylo. You're probably going to have a different attitude. You're probably going to want to use every little technique that Mayor Lori Lightfoot is using to impose your will. See, the thing we, we did with the reader, we talked about with the reader today was power. That was one of the things we talked about in our workshop. And I, I'm fascinated with power. I watch it all the time. I watch it exercise all the time. In particular, I watch our mayors use it. Every little trick of the trade to impose their will on other people. So I'm like, Raymond Lopez, you've learned from watching and criticizing and critiquing Mayor Lori Lightfoot. If you get to be Mayor Lopez, you'll be doing the same tricks, won't you? Guaranteed D, he'll go, no, because I believe in democracy. <laughs> That's what they all say. You know what? I'm going to make a pledge, Dennis. This time around, I'm not going to be so gullible. This time around, I'm not just going to believe something a mayoral candidate says just because he or she says it. Now, Dennis kind of made fun of me in the last mayoral election. Yes, he did, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> he made fun of me, as did Mick Dumkey and Ramana Hussein and everybody else in the world. Why, you ask? That's an excellent question. Why, you ask? Because when Lori Lightfoot came to the hideout for our uh, first Tuesday show, then it was with Mick Dumkey. Now, of course, it's the great Maya Dukmasova. Mick has retired and is playing the guitar on Tuesday nights. Uh, anyway, uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, candidate Lori Lightfoot, got up and basically said to me, well, how do you want me to answer your questions? And I would tell her how I wanted to answer. And she told me exactly what I wanted to hear. And when it was all over, I was going, oh, my God, what a great candidate. Oh, dude, you bought a poster with her, <laughs> waving at the crowd, put it in your house. It was bad. And Dennis, Mick, and Ramada, they all told me, Ben, you can't believe something a candidate says just because they said it. I go, no, she said it. She wouldn't, if she didn't mean it, she wouldn't have said it. And Dennis and Mick and Ramona goes, how could this guy be so old and so naive at the same time? I've learned my lesson, ladies. <laughs> I don't know. You know what, D? I don't know. I don't know if I've really learned my lesson. Yeah, it's early. It's early. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so we'll ask Raylo uh, all the questions and I'll see what he has to say. But what a delight that was. <laughs> to learn to read a early morning tweet sent to by Frank to me of Marianne Ahern. Oh, that right. Uh, by the way, Shia Capels had a whole interview with the guy, Man. which I don't like, uh, what? No respect, Raylo. 
anyway, he's he'll be on the show uh, tomorrow. I'm really looking forward to that. You're uh, like the else? Rodney Dangerfield of Chicago, man. Yeah, I know. I can't respect huh? my wife. Huh? Oh, does she make love? Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, I love Rodney Dangerfield. Me too. Oh God, I love him. Anyway, uh, so uh, but shout outs. I mentioned the hideout. I want to shout out to everybody. Uh, Frank Michael Girardi, the immortal, the legendary Michael Girardi, uh, was at the hideout last night to uh, watch uh, our great show. I'd say it was a great show. Uh, sold out. Uh, yeah, it was sold out. The place was packed. It was good to see Timmy Tunton, the owner of the hideout, was in rare form. Oh my! Hey, and, oh my goodness! You should have heard of Timmy T. He went on this whole thing about Pat Whalen's show. Oh, great! Um, yeah, it's like, what are we chop liver? He's like, yeah, uh, Pat Whalen's got a show here too. He had JB Pritzker. And then he turns and looks at me and my, yeah, what about that? And then he goes, yeah, and he had Tony Preckwinkle. What do you think of that? And I, uh, and he got Tony Preckwinkle to laugh. <laughs> it's like finally, my say, what are you trying to make us feel bad? Anyway, Pat Whale, we should bring him back, talk about his show. Uh, but a great night it was. Elena Hampton, Dave McKinney from WBEZ. We really took the deep dive on Michael Joseph Madigan. And uh, we have a recording of that, which I have on this uh, flash drive. Oh, this is going to nice. be problematic. Nice. This is already a problem here, D. What do I do with the flash drive? Yeah, Is it even a flash drive? That's Well, let me show you. <laughs> Hold on. This thing. Here, what is this thing? Okay, that is indeed a flash drive. That's nice. Okay. Good job. Good job. So, <laughs> good job. The the sound person go, gave this to me. You go, oh, just here's the flash drive. I'm like, thank you. You know, and it's just one of those things where I don't want to let on that I don't really know what a oh, flash brother. drive. Is. You know what I mean? So, so I'm like, oh yes, <clears throat> that is a flash drive. Yep, know the flash drive. Yeah, flash drive, which is a little different than a car drive. Because <laughs> car drive is different than a flash drive. So I come home, I go, honey, could you show me how this flash drive works? My wife dutifully puts the flash drive in the computer, and now we're going to download. Guess what? A lot of, a lot of uh, memory, huh? Yeah, it's like, you can't download this. This is too big for your computer. Mm-hmm. Now what am I supposed to do with this freaking flash drive? <laughs> Jeez, <I'm> Louise. <laughs> Jeez, Louise. <laughs> what do you do with the flash drive if you can't put it in the computer? What? good is the flash drive please explain that to me dennis well uh we're gonna have to wait for uh, the show to end to talk about this one okay we don't want to reveal too much now <laughs> ladies and gentlemen i just want you to know in my hand i have the flash drive of last night's show so if you just want to look at this flash drive well, it's put, almost as good uh, as put it up to the, the microphone maybe we can hear a bit of the show oh wait here we go Huh. Oh yeah, here's Tim Tutton. Ah, we got Pat Whalen. Ah. Wait, you know who was in the audience? Ken Davis. Here's Ken Davis. And <laughs> uh, who? Uh, Ed Muller was in the audience. Uh, our great uh, expert on judges, and I cut a deal with him. He's coming around the show to nice. talk about Supreme Court uh, election. Hold on, here's Ed Mullen. Yeah, going. Yeah, I'll come on the show, Ben, anytime. Yeah, wow, this flash drive really works. <laughs> Just put it to. Hold, hold on, here's the flash drive. Here's Raylo. Uh, yeah, I'll come on your show. I want an answer. Whoa, <laughs> this is like a a powerful flash drive. Wait, put it up. Put it up to the microphone one more time. Oh, here we go. Play the radio. Make sure to tell. Whoa, Biden was there. <laughs> God, if we had, folks, we didn't even plan this flash drive bit. Here, one more time. Let's see who else was. I'll put in. A, I'm right. putting the flash drive to the computer. Put it in there. Put it. Oh, Will Smith. <laughs>
Anyway, I got the flash drive. We're going to figure it out. We're going to have a, uh, a Ben Jarofsky show production meeting and the greatest minds of the Ben Jarofsky show will gather together and figure out how to get this flash drive in a place where you can hear what's on the flash drive. Could all be a trick played by the recording engineer at the hideout. Let's, let's drive this old boomer crazy. Hell, Ben, here's a flash drive. Sure. Show your wife. Anyway, it was a great show. Absolutely. I want to thank Elena Hampton uh, and Dave McKinney. They were outstanding. Great questions from the audience, as always. Really smart people come to First Tuesdays. We've got another one in May. I think Maria Pappas, fingers crossed, will be there, Cook County Treasurer. Uh, but we shall see. We haven't cut that deal yet. I probably shouldn't have said anything uh, about it. There's a story on the Sun-Times Day I wanted to share with you uh, while I have your, your attention. Yeah. I'm going to the Sun Times. What page is it? This is an interesting story, my beloved bright one. Here we go. This is a story about the city of Chicago, ladies and gentlemen, the people who live in the city of Chicago. Uh, at the Lincoln Park Zoo, uh, there's a gorilla named Amari. And uh, the headline in the story is too much screen time for Amari the gorilla. Zoo officials hope buffer zone will cut down a primate looking at visitors' cell phone. And this is a phenomenon I was not aware of. First of all, I'm not really into zoos. I gotta get that out there. I don't really, something about a zoo I don't like the, you know, the animals on the cages, the bars. It just reminds me of a prison. Yeah, yeah. I'm just not into zoos. Never been in the zoos. And when we were little, like, you know, my mom would like, let's go to the zoo. Like, why? You know, I don't want to go to the zoo. Uh, but anyway, so I have been to zoos, but I haven't been to one in a while. Uh, but anyway, so, okay, so I, I'm not really into the idea of going to the zoo, but this is a, a new twist. People go to the zoo, and they stand in front of, of Amari the gorilla, and Amari the gorilla is separated from people by, with a glass, in a glass case, and uh, a glass enclosure, I should say. And uh, people put their cell phones up to the glass, and show videos to Amari the gorilla. And I'm like, what? I Maybe that's like a millennial thing or something, D, but I'm not quite understanding. Like, what's the purpose of showing a gorilla? Like, for instance, yesterday I was talking about uh, that great Seinfeld bit. Uh, Estelle Harris uh, plays uh, George Costanza, Mrs. Costanza, and she's in the bit. She's in the hospital because she fell over the table after witnessing George masturbating. It's a hilarious bit. Hey, maybe that's on my flash drive. Hold on, let's see. Is that on my flash drive? Wait, let's look. Let's see. Hold on. Uh, hold on again. No. No, no. it's not. <laughs> it's not. On the... That would have been amazing if that bit was on the flash drive. So I'm like, why? Okay, I'm really into it. I've seen it now six times. But why in a million years would I want to put it in front of the gorilla? You know what I mean? I mean, man, people are like showing the gorilla, hey, gorilla, you know, here, here, uh, here's DeMar DeRozan's big shot last night. Oh, wow, I love that play. I'm sure it's like kids, right? I don't know, man. It's, uh, I'm sure it's like kids this. showing them, right? Um, No, uh, staff members put up a rope. Ross was, t no, it doesn't say who, uh, it doesn't say whether they're just kids. Well, why would a kid do it? Well, why would a kid? Kids are crazy, man. <laughs> anyway, so that I'm like, come on, people, put the phone down. You're in a zoo. What, what are you? 
anyway so uh that was my uh, favorite story in the sun times today my uh my third my second favorite story was arnie duncan's essay and i'm definitely going to be talking about this with monroe when he comes on and i'm talking about this uh with uh raymond uh, lopez tomorrow arnie, arnie duncan of course former head of chicago public schools former secretary of education uh have been thinking about running for mayor uh, and uh, he you know, got an elbow or two from uh, Lori Lightfoot and decided, it's too rough. Uh, I don't want to run for mayor. Yeah, that, was that was quick. That was quick. It didn't take long. Uh, but he wrote an essay, or there's an essay uh, under his name. I, I bet you anything Pete Cunningham wrote the essay. We all, come on. We all know if they say anything remotely intelligent, it's because Cunningham wrote it. We all know that. Uh, but it's, 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 it's really well done. I got to give him credit. And it's based on a poll that he took uh, for his uh, short-lived mayoral uh, candidacy or uh, his uh, considering running. He took a poll and it shows that the number one concern uh, in uh, by uh, of residents in the city of Chicago is crime. And uh, that, um, that people overwhelmingly want more police, not less, more police. Uh, and uh, so that would just fit the narrative that's the Republicans are definitely employing to try to get elected. And I think it's a it could be a f- effective narrative. And here's where the whole thing falls apart, because the third aspect, uh, the first the third major rev- revelation uh, in the poll is that the first step. That police should undertake as they try to deal with crime is to build trust with the communities in Chicago. And that's the, f- the element that like no one's talking about. Definitely not Republicans are talking about building trust, but that's the, the overwhelming conviction of people who responded to the poll. They want to build trust, which means better training, which means uh, people, the police interacting in a more positive way uh, with residents. And folks, I could tell you right now, absolutely nothing has changed in my whole life, uh, living in Chicago or living outside of Chicago, concerned about crime, uh, desire to have more police, and three, better relations with police. They just want people randomly locked up, whether they're innocent or not, or beat in the head, or shot. So it's a fascinating study. It's a very complex, nuanced thing. But of course, it's being reduced to Democrats are soft. Leftist Democrats love crime. Lock them up. Let's lock everybody up. Uh, fascinating study. Very complicated, very nuanced. We're, of course, not getting anything resembling the nuance uh, in this election cycle. All right, we're going to take a break. When we return, Monroe Anderson, Mr. Birthday Man, will be with us. Stick around, everybody. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show's birthday special. Benny J, take it away. All right. With us is Mr. Birthday, the birthday man himself, the pride and joy of Gary, Indiana, uh, Monroe Anderson. Monroe, am I allowed to tell the people how old you are, what birthday this is? Uh, sure. I'm almost to the age where I'm going to be bragging about how old I am. I'm not quite there. <laughs> I would say this is not. Yeah. <laughs> this is pretty close, right? Exactly. I'd say you're pretty damn close. Yeah, right. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Monroe Anderson is uh, 75 years old. Let me just tell you something. 
I first met Monroe Anderson 43 years ago. 43. Oh, my God. How is that possible? And, folks, he looked like he was 19 when I met. This guy looked so young to accomplish what he had accomplished. He was, of course, a big-time journalist, columnist for the Chicago Tribune. Uh, and he came to, to talk to us lowly Chicago reporter reporters uh, for a whopping fee of whatever they paid you to thirty five dollars. Thirty five. That's how it went. He got an invitation uh, from the reader to come talk to our staff, uh, from the reporter to come talk to our staff. And he goes, "Not unless I'm paid." <laughs> no, 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 no. The Tribune gave us thirty five dollars for every correct. public appearance we made. Excellent. Yes. Yeah, and my last year at the Tribune, I made um, more than a hundred public appearances. Yeah, so he was rolling it in, right? Exactly. And and by the way, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to uh, nip this one in the bud. He made over a hundred appearances. That's uh, if you do the math, that's over three thousand dollars he earned uh, for those appearances. There was no truth to that dastardly rumor that he used that money to buy reefer. I am just nipping that one in the butt. Okay. 30 something year old Monroe Anderson was not repeat stocking up on reefer. Right. No, I I put it aside knowing (laughs) that one day it would be legal. And so now I'm about to spend $3,500 on some legal weed. Oh man. They'll they'll get you coming and going. You're going to be back at the illegal market in no time. Like the rest of us. Right. Uh, all right. Uh, so just, I don't know, any insights, any great, va- any great uh, insights about life that you have to offer uh, our listeners having lived 75 freaking years. Good God. Uh, you got any lessons you want to impart? Retire early. <laughs> I retired. I, I retired 20 years ago. I've been retired for 20 years and it's been the best 20 years of my life. Wait a minute, 20 years ago? You mean yeah. you left Channel 2? Yeah. Two th- uh, December 3, 2002. Damn, that's a long time. Right. <laughs> I mean, and it's not it's not that I haven't done any jobs. I just have never, I've not had, actually, I, I came out of retirement to be editor of the, of Indigo. Yeah, and then Savoy. I remember but those, that. But all those are on my terms, and that makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, no, I remember when you uh, when you I didn't I didn't view it as you coming out of retirement. Right, we well, have the it's like you know the Kenny Rogers song, "Know when to hold them, know when to fold them." Like right. words to live by. You got nothing like that. You have no 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 terse uh, little yeah. tips about life. No, no, no. Okay. no. Yeah, no. Anyway, all right. Although, well, although I, 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 I'm trying to think of one to go on my tombstone, like like Studs Terkel. What was Studs Terkel's uh, tombstone? Curiosity didn't kill this cat. Is that what's on his tombstone? I don't know. That's what he said he wanted on. Oh, that that but, that but is a good quote. That, that's <laughs> a, damn. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> right. All the good ones have been taken. All right. Uh, so um, here's, I'll tell you what's on the top of my, my, my mind right now. Get your response to this. Uh, 
Clarence Thomas and his wife, Ginny Thomas, is on the top of my mind. Richard Irvin, uh, the um, uh, the man who wants to be mayor and his commercial that says, looks like me, thinks like us, is on the top of my mind. And race is on the top of my mind. And Monroe, we did a, a workshop uh, with the reader this morning. I was telling you about it briefly. Uh, we, right. we talked about race and power. It was a workshop about race and power. And I realized something. I'm freaking obsessed with race. And it's like, I, I, I think about it all the time. I talk about it all the time. You know what I mean? It's, it's always in my brain. Well, let me tell you, if, if you were black, <laughs> even if you tried not to think about it, something would happen that would remind you of it. If, if no more than, than, than a, a mini snub or, or mini insult. Yeah. I never talked about this on your show. But in 1977, I went to Portugal on vacation. My first wife had an uncle who lived in Portugal. He was German. And after World War II ended, he moved to um, Brazil and stayed there for a number of years. Then he moved to Portugal and was living there. But he was not a racist, uh, not, not a Nazi. <laughs> 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 anyway, we, at the time, Portugal had just gone through um, the revolution in Guinea. And so they had to move all the not pure Africans, light-skinned, half-breeds and mixtures. They had to move them to Portugal because for 200 years, they've been telling them how they were their brothers or sisters. And after the revolution, the, the um, Africans, black Africans, were killing the light-skinned Africans. So they moved them all to uh, Portugal. And they had a, a socialist president at the time and so um, all the rich people moved, had moved out, out of Portugal because of the revolution. They had taken the Africans and mansions that one family lived in, they had put 30 or 40 people in a mansion. Mm -hmm. And they almost instantaneously turned to a, 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 a slum. Because these people weren't used to anything that was fancy, they had to take care of it, et cetera. Anyway, my wife and I are there. And we're going to these to these shops downtown, and they're trailing us around in the store to see if we were going to sell anything, shop this. And I turned to my wife and said, "My God, this feels like we're in Chicago." <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was a very weird situation. So let me ask you this: the uh, most of your life. The I've uh, you've lived in uh, proximity, close proximity to white people, because like when they the, when you said to your wife, uh, I, "This feels like we're in Chicago." You had already been living in Chicago for about ten years. Yeah, but for the first I don't know, I mean, fifteen years of your life, yeah. you lived in Gary. Right. And there were no white people around. 
No. There were no white people. You no. may have had a white teacher or two, but that's it. Uh, two. <laughs> two. Okay. Two. Here one in third grade, one in tenth grade. Wow. So just think about this, Monroe. You grew up, everybody you saw was black. Yes. And it was only after you left, Gary. Well, I, I saw white people on TV. Okay, you saw white people on TV. <laughs> Watched the Bonanza, and you saw the guys on the Ponderosa. Right. So, uh, so do you? Are you? Do you think you was a more positive world? Did you not think of race when you were the a black guy among black people, and there were no. Our bonus guest is here. Oh. Our happy birthday bonus <laughs> guest is here. Yeah. And this it's, was the surprise, Monroe. I didn't it's, tell it's you. A, it's, a, it's a good surprise. And, and, he, and, he, and he's the only one I know who's my elder. <laughs> uh, Richard, your, your mic's on mute. Uh-oh. We can figure this out. Uh, your mic's on mute. He's gonna, Our bonus guest, before we introduce, he's going to figure out that mic. He's going to figure <laughs> out how to unmute that mic. And he's going to take him a little while, but he's going to figure out. He can hear me, and he's going to figure it out. And while, while he's figuring it out, I'm going to f- get you to f- answer that question because I'm going to ask him the same question, but I don't think it will apply to him as much as you, Monroe. Yeah, no, he grew up in in, 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 Ch- in Chicago also. He I mean, did, but also, he also from New York city. originally, I want to say, our bonus guest, our mystery so we'll, guest. We'll hear him. Yeah. You, you uh, find your mute button yet? No, nah, he hasn't found it yet. <laughs> I can still see it's mute. Uh, yeah, he's not. Dennis will help him. Uh, Dennis talking to it. But, it, to you know, but actually, even growing up in segregated Gary, I had – I, I still was reminded periodically of racism. For example, uh, when I was a teenage boy, I was maybe 13, uh, we came to Chicago. Our, our parents brought us to Chicago, myself and a friend or two. And uh, we were on the south side near the lake where they parked the cars mm-hmm. and we were running around, you know, kids red Lake, Michigan, this green and we're running around and we got stopped by the Chicago police and frisk. How old were you? Because, yeah. Right. No. How old were you? I was 12, 13. At the time. So you're telling me that the whole time you were in Gary, Indiana, you never had run-ins with the police? Uh, yeah. Um, for breaking curfew. That was it. You never harassed. Were police, at your memory, were police in Gary white or black? Um, I don't, I, probably both. Yeah. Yeah, both. But I, so, I, I had no run in with them personally at all. Yeah. Cause I, I grew up in a working class neighborhood where yeah. all, all the men, if almost everybody's father was there and they all worked in the mills. And so the, 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 the fathers ran it. You didn't, you didn't need the police around. See. Okay. So th- I have a, um, I'll tell you this conversation I had uh, years after I graduated uh, from Evanston Township High School. So Evanston Township High School uh, is 
Oh gosh, I don't know what what the population breakdown was, but it was when I was there. I would say it was about seventy five percent white, twenty five percent black. It's uh, it may have changed since then, uh, but they had a track system. In a track system, yeah, uh, you have honors classes, regulars classes, remedial classes, and then advanced placement classes. So they track you and they right. put you in categories and. It's very obvious. All you got to do is walk through Evanston High School that they're enforcing segregation through the track system. So the very few black kids in the advanced placement or the honors and very few uh, white kids uh, in the lower level, regular classes. regular. Uh, and um, so effectively, an integrated school becomes a segregated school. Okay. Yeah. And um, I remember having a conversation with a teacher, a black man. Uh, after I graduated, he said, I would never send my children. This is a guy who taught at Evanston High School. I would never send my children to Evanston High School because this track system reinforces a sense of white superiority and black inferiority when it comes to scholarship. And, yeah. academia. and uh, I, I'll, I'll send my kid to an all black private school before I send my kid to Evanston High School. So your thoughts on that, Monroe? Um, well, yes, yes. I, I, I think that that happens. Um, I did not send my sons to Lincoln Park High School, although it would have been a ten-minute walk from them, several blocks. But because Lincoln Park had that system, and my sons would have been with the white students just because they had all the privileges of being middle class and having two college-educated parents. And the Cabrini kids, green kids, black kids did not. So my kids would have been with the white students, and they would have been bullied. I know that. Not, I didn't want them to have to go through that. And so they went to um, Whitney Young and um, Walter Payton. Wait, Tim, so you... Your, the impetus you had to not send your kids uh, to a, a, an integrated school that was not only – now we're getting into another form of integration. There's racial integration, and then there's class integration or yes. economic integration. Right. And uh, so if you go to Whitney Young or if you go to uh, – uh, Peyton or Northside. Yeah, Peyton, not so much Peyton, I was going to say, but but maybe when your kids were there. There's not a lot of uh, uh, racial integration at, at Peyton these days, my understanding of it is. Uh, oh, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, yeah. and especially with North. That, that, that's Chicago's decided. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. I've been to North. North, I, I went North there side. once. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so anyway, all right, but if you go to Whitney Young is a racially integrated school, uh, but there's not a lot of uh, what I would call class integration. There's not kids from a very a variety of different economic classes. They tend to be middle class or wealthier. That was uh, that was my revelation. And, when, and Whitney when, Young. Yeah, Whitney Young. Yeah. A lot of there was yeah. a lot of wealthy ki kids right. at Whitney right. Young. I was whoa. Right. Our, 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 yeah, yeah. And um, so, but you were confronted at Lincoln Park with class integration. Do you follow yes. what I'm saying? The difference. Yes. And so you were worried that. Uh, poor black kids would bully your sons? Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah, I have no doubt that would have happened. None. 
and I, I didn't want. I, 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 I was bullied just for um, at, at in my high school, Gary Roosevelt. I was well. I wasn't really bullied. I had in my sophomore year. I literally had to have a fight every day after class, and that was because I was uh, a smart kid, and. Um, there were people who were jealous of me, and, and they they lived in a they were they were either public housing projects or poor housing um, situation, and and mine was working class, it was not middle class as such, middle middle class aspirations, hmm. but not quite middle class. So anyway, I had people who targeted me just because, and I literally had to get in a fist fight every day because someone would test me and um if i ran or if i didn't get in the fight then i i really would be in trouble so so it it was a different situation it was a class situation for sure all right so explain to me how running would make you it put you in a more difficult situation than standing uh and slugging it out because they would decide that I was a punk. That's the term they used back then. And anybody looking to make a reputation for themselves. I mean, you have that situation in prisons now. (laughs) You know, uh, I I know a a guy uh, who, when he first went to prison, the first thing he did, he said, was he found the, the guy with the best reputation in prison and went up and smacked him. <laughs> I've heard <laughs> that line, yeah. Yeah, right. Not, not, not slapped him. You hit him. You had cold, you know, sat back and hit him. Yeah. Uh, they, they, he got the living daylights beat out of him by the people, his guy's friends afterwards. But then they respected him. Hey, we are. What's going on, Richard? Hey, Ben Zerowski and the old guy. Yeah, wait, the old guy, hold it, save it now. I don't know where the old guy is. Uh, Dennis, should we start recording again? Uh, yeah, I, I'm recording the whole time. You, you, yeah, we, could, we should wait for Monroe, though. <laughs> yeah, we should wait for Monroe. He went to get Joyce. Like, when we couldn't, we were waiting for you, Richard. Uh, he went to get Joyce, his wife, because he wanted her to comment. Here he comes. Yeah. All right. Have, I come back empty head. Yeah, I knew you would. Stop coming on. I know Joyce. <laughs> come on. Who are we kidding here? Uh, so, our, uh, all right. We're going to start picking this up right now. One, two, three. Our mystery guest has joined us, ladies and gentlemen. The legendary, the great Richard Steele, a dear friend of absolutely everybody uh, involved with this show, an old dear friend of Monroe Anderson. So, Richard, do you have any advice? For the birthday man, Monroe Anderson, on the occasion of his 75th, Richard Steele, 75th birthday. Uh, yeah, uh, buy some Viagra. Cialis is better. All right. Clean it up, you two. We can't bring him anywhere. Okay. Richard, I want want you to pretend as though this uh, interview was being done uh, at WBEZ. Okay. Uh, Okay. All right. No no Viagra, no Cialis. Okay. Nothing. So, uh, all right, Richard. Happy birthday, Monroe. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, thank you. 
Richard, do you have any early memories of Monroe that you want to share? I uh, I recalled uh, at the outset of the show uh, meeting him for the first time. I met Monroe in 1982. Richard Steele, 1982. Just think about that for a moment. Do you do you ever do you recall when you met Monroe? No, nah, it seems like we've been knowing each other for the entire time. I've uh, you know been in public radio, um, but I don't recall specifically. I know I used to have him as a guest. I had an overnight talk show. Remember that, uh, Monroe? Yeah, yeah. Now, I did, so I had. Uh, I remember the first yeah, but, lunch we had together. I, I don't remember when it was, but it was a long, long time ago. But we we had lunch together, and we talked, and and I said I thought to myself. This guy knows everything. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't yeah, think no, so. Seriously, the other thing that's too. my impression. He, he is very, he is incredibly versatile. Yes. And he has a wide range of knowledge. Because yeah. he's, he's, he's done everything there is to do in the media except buy a radio station. But, and he, well, listen, he could have done that, but he didn't want to. <laughs> you know, I, I faked it a lot. Because one of the things that I always regret uh, in this business is uh, I do not have a degree. And people assume that I had a degree and that, you know, I had some academic credentials and because I read a lot and I was involved in a lot of things that, uh, that I liked, like politics and the arts and uh, jazz and a lot of things after I left R&B radio. And so working at public radio WBEZ, I interviewed people with, you know, tremendous academic records and people who were very, very smart. And I was like, I just read a lot and acted like I knew uh, some stuff, but I, but I, you know, I was able to read well and absorb material. So Monroe, uh, I appreciate what you said, man. You know, I know we used to be in um, uh, NABJ together too back yeah. in the day. Yeah. That's association of black journals, Richard. Uh, let's just make clarify one thing. Uh, he, I, when you said he, you do not have a degree. You meant a college degree, correct? You're absolutely because uh, just the world should know this. Uh, Richard Steele is a proud graduate of Hirsch High School in the city of Chicago. So you have that degree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you laughed at that. Hirsch High School. That is uh, true. That is true. And then you should ask him the question you asked me about white people. I am going to ask this question. So, Richard, uh, you, you came in in the middle of a, a kind of a deep conversation that Monroe and I were having. And it began with me uh, making this confession that uh, I realize I'm obsessed with race, Richard Steele. I think about it a lot. I talk about it a lot. I write about it a lot. Uh, and I have been for my whole life. Uh, and, uh, so I asked Monroe, uh, about that. And he was reflecting that he too, uh, is obsessed with race, but he has no choice as a black man in America. You have no choice. It's always going to be on your head. Um, and, uh, so then we, we, we got into a conversation about whether it would be better for black people if they lived separately from white people. Uh, so that there wouldn't be an imposition uh, on them of segregation and uh, expectations and prejudice, et cetera, and so forth. So your general thoughts uh, on this, Richard, just the notion of being obsessed with race and whether black people will be better off in a segregated world than an integrated one. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't know about uh, as it relates to choice, if you're black, you really don't have that much choice, you know, unless you're, 
Uh, I mean, you can ignore it. There are black people who uh, say, well, you know, I don't have any thoughts about race, everybody. I'm neutral and blah, 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 blah. But the bottom line is uh, when you show up at the bank trying to get a loan to your house uh, and that, that whole neutrality thing go out, goes out the door. So, I mean, that's just a reality. Uh, Monroe knows this on a daily basis, stuff that other people take for granted about how things work. Um, you have to consider first, okay, uh, is the race thing going to be a problem here? Is that an issue? Um, give you a good example real quickly. Uh, in the early days of my working at WBEZ, uh, there was a, a show called Worldview, and uh, Sandra Gare did the show. I don't know if you remember, remember that, but she did a great job. She did the show. She was off one time for a couple of days, and they asked me to fill in for her in addition to doing my own show. So I'm in there preparing, and I have the New York Times, and I'm looking for the New York Times, as a matter of fact. So the guy who was filling in for her, uh, I asked him for the newspaper because he really had one New York Times. And so I said to him, uh, have you seen the New York Times? I need, I need to take a look at it. And he said to me, uh, okay, what, you need the sports section <laughs> or the entertainment section? And I was like, you know, I mean, automatically, oh. that's an assumption. It's stuff like that that you have to deal with on a regular basis for somebody else. Now, had somebody else asked that question who was white, uh, it might not have been offensive, but it was offensive to me. He may not even recognize it. So it's like on a daily basis. Everything has race, the race element added to it, whether you want to or not. It's just like that. You know, uh, um, and some people will say that if a person is white and they're not racist and they're you know open-minded, but if they don't stand up and, and speak on it when something comes up, then that's just as bad. I mean, they're not racist, but they, you know, they're kind of hesitant about stepping up and saying, I don't like what you said um, because that's, that's kind of racist that, with this person that's standing next to me who doesn't happen to be black. So that's a reality. The separation thing. Yeah. yeah you know, you, based you, on how this is, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. In 1975 uh, was the first time I experienced reverse racism, you know, which white people used to talk about all the time whenever uh, um, black folks got anywhere. But um, 75, um, Clarence Page, his wife Leonita McLean, uh, my, my wife and I, we were all vacationing together in Acapulco. And that was back when disco was really hot and everybody was doing it. So they'd have these long lines for you to get into a disco. So uh, we were going to this disco and we get almost to the door and these white Texans say to us, well, you're going to have to wait. They're all filled up. They told us that we had to come back later if they didn't have any room. Oh, and so, <laughs> so, so we stood there. We debated whether we should try someplace else. Or we should say, well, what we can do is we can put our name on the list and come back later. Wow. We get to the door. They welcome us in. The place is 90% empty. <laughs> <laughs> give us great <laughs> I mean, and, and they, I mean, and they welcomed us. You know, I mean, put their arms around us and welcomed. And they rejected these white folks. And I went, Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Wait, Richard. Let, let me, me, let me let, go ahead. Yeah, wait. Let me share this with you, uh, Ben and uh, Monroe. Monroe may remember this, but 
uh, he mentioned Leonita McLean married to uh, uh, Clarence Page. Mm-hmm. Well, I used to talk to Clarence Page a lot, too, when I was doing the overnight talk show. But I also interviewed Leonita McLean one time. And this, she was so disappointed that I, I think Monroe and I talked about that, that in the newsroom when Harold won, uh, a lot of white people who were supposed to be like, uh, you know, objective journalists, and maybe they weren't all reporters, but people who worked there were kind of like, you know, I don't know about that. And then Monroe said, he and some other black people went to a separate space and went, yes, this is great. You know what I mean? Uh, so I had her on the show, and she talked about how she was so disappointed in that people that she knew who were white, she thought they were, she thought they'd be more objective and they wouldn't, uh, you know, sort of go the racial route when Harold was elected. And she was so disappointed and she was uh, very emotional about it. And even when she was on that night, she was just saying how awful she felt about how they responded to that. And uh, of course, after that, she ended up committing suicide. But she had some other problems too, obviously. But I'll never forget that. Monroe, do you remember that conversation we had? Oh, I was her. We we were very close, and so I I, I had discussions with her all the time. And, and in fact, um, the article that she wrote for the Washington Post how how Chicago taught me to hate. I think that was a headline for it. Anyway, I I was mentioned. She she she. She she wrote about me in that article, which was a um, and uh, we were very close. We had we had these discussions all the time, because because my opinion of her was that she was a little bit too trusting and loving of, of the white people at the Tribune, that they didn't deserve as much as she got. Yeah, I, I, I was I was a little more hard edged. In fact, at one point, she told the editors that that I was bitter. Okay, well, just briefly, Leonita McClain, just to help people out, was an absolutely brilliant uh, writer. Uh, she wrote for the Chicago Tribune. I don't hold that against her. Uh, and, She's the first uh, black woman on the editorial board. Yeah, there. brilliant woman, and she um, committed suicide, I want to say, 1984, Monroe, something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah that's Memorial, about right. Memorial Day, 1984. And yeah, uh, a great essayist. And as Monroe was uh, remembering, uh, she wrote an essay right around the time of Harold Washington. I can't remember if it was before. In those days, we had uh, it was a sharp division. The first election, Harold was in a Democratic primary. Richard, you got to remember this against Daly and Byrne. Remember and the yeah. winner of that would presumably be they were. Uh, uh, running to get the Democratic nomination to run in the general election against the Republican. Uh, and Harold won because Daley and Burns split the white vote. Suddenly, uh, Harold is running for against Bernie Epton, the Republican. And that usually was a slam dunk for the Democrats. And this, I think, is what really opened up Alina McLean's eyes, Monroe, if, you, if, I, if I'm correct in my memory. The response of white Chicago, Richard Steele, was, I would have to say, it's... In my lifetime, the lowest moment in terms of um, the city as a whole, the way they responded to the candidacy of a lifelong Democrat named Harold Washington uh, was the lowest moment in race relations 
collectively across the board. I know Martin Luther King got hit in the head with a rock when he went into Monroe, uh, Monroe when he went into um, on the southwest side. I understand that, but Marquette Park, Marquette Park, but collectively Monroe and Richard across the board, just overnight, lifelong Democrats saying they're going to vote for Bernie Epton. Because Harold Washington, another lifelong Democrat, was black. Richard Steele Monroe, I, I, can, I can understand uh, why. I, I'd open my eyes, Monroe. I have to admit, I'm naive. Everybody makes fun of me for being naive, but I never saw such hate. So I'm with Leonida McClain uh, 100% on that one. Just, wow. What an expression of utter just hate. I don't know what else to call it, Monroe. Yeah. Well, at least it left a, a tremendous impression with me because, uh, and, and I, let me make this correction. It could have been when we had that discussion and I had her on, it could have been um, after, uh, you know, the, after the process uh, during which uh, Harold won, the, you know, was about to win the primary, um, or it might have been after Harold's election. But in any case, she was really affected by the fact that uh, whites, as, as Monroe pointed out, uh, you know, she was kind of naive in that area and thought, well, you know, you know, everybody's a good person until they do something that, you know, shows that they're not. And uh, she, I, I think, didn't think of race like that, especially with the people she worked for. I don't think she worked with. I don't think she was naive about race overall because that's just part of American life. But about working in an area where you're you know, around people every day that you, uh, you know, you work with and you know you eat lunch with and blah, blah, blah. And then um, when that situation comes up, and as you pointed out, Bernard Epton, who the hell is he? You know what I mean? And so uh, that was an amazing thing. You know, Epton before it's too late. That was really painful. Very painful. And uh, and then for me, well, we won't go down this path, but the elevation of Daly and the love for Daly when Harold Washington died, I always interpreted it as Chicago's way of saying we will never allow another Harold Washington to be elected mayor. And that the love, the reverence, the way Daly was put on a pedestal, constantly praised. It, 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 I, Richard, I just, I've, I was always offended by that. And I struggle with it throughout the whole Daly years. As a matter, I would never vote for him. Uh, maybe well, I was you know, Daly. go ahead, Richard. Uh, obviously the uh, sort of the legacy aspect of it, was unlike anything that anybody's ever seen. I mean, his father was mayor forever. And then, uh, you know, uh, I think Daly had what, three, Daly Jr., I think had three terms, Rich Daly. So that was like, nothing like that has ever been seen, but it was you know, sort of, uh, it was sort of reverential. That's what I'm looking for. It was um, reminiscent of Chicago politics in that, you know, uh, the fixes in the machine uh, works uh, for everybody but you kind of a mindset would you Monroe, would you agree with that yes yes i mean and it's it's not as as um severe now here in chicago but nationally it's what in dc for example you see that same phenomena occurring right now you know i mean if you look at, at uh, judge jackson and how um the republicans some white republicans going after her, although she's overqualified for the job. And we know it's definitely overqualified for a Supreme Court justice, <laughs> but she is. She is. She is, definitely. 
Uh, you know, that, that's an amazing thing about uh, about uh, Judge Jackson. I, you know, I've been watching, I'm sure you guys watched uh, those hearings, and it always amazes me when, I mean, there are some people, I saw uh, uh, a guest on Chuck Todd's Sunday morning, Meet the Press, uh, I guess either last week, or week before, I think it was last week, and it was a Republican senator, and I don't remember which one it was, but part of the conversation was Chuck Todd asking him about that nomination. And, uh, you know, and whether or not he was going to vote for Judge Jackson. And the guy said, uh, well, you know, I have to look at some more things and blah, 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 blah. And then he said, uh, you know, know, he said, obviously, she's fairly smart. (laughs) Jesus, she's smarter than everybody in any room like that. How can you? I mean, it was sort of a throwaway. And I really resented that. You know what I mean? And a lot of these guys, obviously, it's, it's it's a political situation where, you know, they don't want to be, they don't want to be seen as somebody who didn't uh, take the party line. And it's kind of sad, really, when you think about uh, the two nominations before her that became Supreme Court judges, especially that idiot uh, guy who drank a lot of beer. He said, I, I drink beer? Yeah, you like beer? <laughs> In a nomination <laughs> process. What is that about? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's totally ridiculous. Let's you know what I mean? But... I was just saying, all credit due to her, though she was she was a she was an incredible person uh, going through that uh, you know that uh, ordeal. She's, I mean, as Monroe pointed out, she is overqualified. She's better than anybody that they could come up with or think of. She had all the right responses, and she never got pissed, which is, I mean, she didn't show it, uh, Monroe and. Uh, well, she uh, she showed she, she showed it, but you'd have to know black women. To know how she showed it. Yeah, she, she, oh, yeah, look, she had yes, that, that look, look where if you you had black <laughs> mother or a black girl or a wife, you knew that look when they were really pissed and they they were holding I, their tongue. Yeah. So, yeah. Ben, you did you get the you didn't you didn't see the look, right? <laughs> I saw it. Monroe and I talked about the look. Uh, it was oh, a couple okay. of weeks ago. We were to, we we spent about ten. We we riff. Monroe went went on a ten minute riff uh, about that look. It was pretty funny. Uh, that you're alluding to uh, Brett Kavanaugh, uh, the beer drinker who was a- approved by right. the Republicans, and uh, the, the, what that one. Now that just goes to show you the difference, uh, the, the double standards here. Because Brett Kavanaugh, I'm sure he's a very smart guy. Let's, I mean, but he was a political operative. He was a political operative for Ken Starr in the investigation uh, of Bill Clinton. He was pushing Absolutely. hard, and you know. So how is that? How does that show, you know, the kind of qualities that you would want in a Supreme Court justice? You get what I'm saying? I mean, he was a uh, very much a partisan player in in the political game. You mean to tell me, Republicans, you couldn't come up with uh, a uh, candidate, a conservative-minded uh, judicial candidate, who what has no bipartisan edge to him? You follow what I'm saying, Richard? Double standard. Yeah, he was a poor choice. He was a very poor choice. He really was. You know. Um, but uh, Mr. Collins was determined that we would get this person in, that we get as many uh, conservative judges as we can in the Supreme Court, and he, he's been very successful with that. You know, uh, he's a guy who talks on both sides of his mouth, but he really he knows the game so well. And I, I think, unfortunately for the Democrats, uh, Mitch McConnell uh, and a few of the others were primarily Mitch McConnell. Um, he plays the long game. You know, when, when these guys are bringing a knife to the fight, to a gun fight. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's uh, I think that's kind of what's happening at this point. 
All right. So, Richard, before we pivot, uh, go on to another conversation. You were just about to answer the, the segregation question that Monroe was delving into. Uh, and then I, I think I distracted you. And the issue is this. I was uh, uh, reminiscing. I was recollecting a conversation I had with a teacher from Evanston High School where I went to Evanston High School. And he's a black man. Uh, and Evanston High School was a school with a track system that effectively se- segregated the black kids from the white kids. This is when I went there. I don't know what it's like now. Uh, and uh, when I went there 500 years ago. And uh, so there was honors classes, and basically they were all white. And then there were regular classes, and basically they were majority black. Uh, and this teacher told me, he said, I would never send uh, my children to a school like this because it just imposes a sense of academic inferiority uh, on black children that they shouldn't have and they shouldn't struggle with. Uh, it, just, it just channels them. Uh, into a certain uh, direction. Uh, what's your thoughts about that, Richard? Do you share that point of view about uh, integration with the track uh, system? Well, the separation aspect of it, and you know, putting people in one in yeah. one category if they happen to be one race. Yes. Um, I think, generally speaking, uh, diversity is better. On, you know, when you ha- when you have an equal education system, but we don't have that. I mean, there's there are many. Uh, historically, there are many black institutions that are black only that have produced some incredible uh, students because they couldn't go anyplace else. You know what I mean? Um, the, the kind of students uh, that coming out of Howard University in Washington just seem some incredible people. But in the early days, uh, many of these people, many people who were black, could not go to uh, you know the big universities and couldn't get accepted and and had to go through a lot of changes. So I you know I think that. In the real world, there are people who have to, most of the time you have to associate and uh, socialize and uh, do business with people of other races. And so uh, I think it's beneficial to have some experience in that mm-hmm. so that when you get out of high school or out of college, it's not just a matter of, well, I only know how, it's the, you know, Monroe knows about this. It's, this is the two-ness, two T-W-O-N-E-S-S that we have to have. We have to be able to operate within our own uh racial group, people, people are black and, uh, you know, the things that go along with that and, uh, you know, uh, uh, tradition and a lot of that, but you also have to operate, uh, in the white world in terms of how that works. White people don't have to do that. <laughs> they just have to do what they do. Uh, we have to be aware of how that works. So I think to answer your question, uh, in long version is that I think it, it is an advantage to be able to to go to school with a group of people who don't look like you, um, unless you happen to be like one or two in the class, that's not good. But a mixture of good, especially in America, where it's you know, blacks and whites and Asians and uh, Hispanics and lots of other people, I think that's the ideal situation. I agree with that point. Uh, all right, let's uh, shift gears, talk a little politics. Uh, Monroe, uh, would not be a Monroe Anderson Wednesday without talking some Trump and MAGA. And, uh, there's so much Trump and MAGA to talk about. But, uh, one thing I am curious about, I've uh, been noting is the, the pushback, uh, that the Republicans, uh, have adopted regarding, uh, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas and his activist wife, Ginny Thomas. I'd love to get your thoughts on this, Monroe and Richard. Uh, somehow or other, the fact that Ginny Thomas was, I don't know, I, plotting sedition? I don't know what else to call it, Monroe. 
it we're supposed to the Republicans are saying it shouldn't matter in regards to the fact that her husband as a Supreme Court justice who has to rule on cases re, uh, that uh, would force compel <laughs> Trump aides to turn over documents or to testify into the official investigation into what is clearly uh, an attempt to overturn the election. Help me out on this, Monroe. Uh, do you see almost, any warrant merit to their argument? Go ahead. And she she is almost QAnon strong. I mean, that's how far to the right she is. She's an activist, and he's her best friend. So it's it's tainted all kind of ways. Um, I I personally think that um, he should be impeached. He won't, but I personally think I I one hundred percent believe that he should recuse himself from any any rulings that have to do with January sixth. Uh, but he won't. He'll he'll be right there, and uh, because the Supreme Court, uh, each each justice is uh, an entity in and of themselves. And, Richie, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no. So, final thought is the Supreme Court is going to have to be re- reformed at some point soon. Uh, what do you mean by what do you mean by that? Take away lifetime appointment? This, this will never happen in our lifetime, Monroe, unless we live another no, seventy-five well, they, years. They need to have the same rules. And, yeah. and they have to pass this. Nobody can put it on them. But they need to have the same rules that the lower courts, yeah. the courts immediately underneath them have. Yeah. And that will help. Um, he, he never would have gotten away with this if if he had been a, a um, lower court judge. Richard, your thoughts? Well, you know, I agree with Monroe. I mean, you know, uh, he's entitled to his opinion. Uh, you know, his legal opinion, because he's a Supreme Court justice. But the thing with uh, Jimmy, <laughs> Jimmy, tell me, listen, I, there's a guy that I know pretty well that uh, we occasionally uh, meet for coffee in Hyde Park. He's a, he's a retired judge. And uh, he was telling me that one of his very good friends went to school with her, went to law school with her, and that she was always kind of off, off, <laughs> off the rails, you know what I mean? So, um it's just that now, after January 6th, you know, it's uh, more apparent in terms of where she comes from. But she's been an activist for a very long time. But this, the situation in, in Washington on January 6th was so, so terrible that when you're associated with that, as she was, she was there that day. She said she left early before the violence started, but she was there. And, uh, you know, they got the messages where she was uh, communicating with the chief of staff. There's no question about that, as Monroe pointed out. There's no mystery here about her influence of influencing her husband when she was on that call and said, talking about her best friend. Well, it's on the record. He said it a lot about her being his best friend, and she made that reference in other, you know, other circumstances. So there's no mystery about who she was referring to when she said she talked to her best friend about it. Yeah, him. <laughs> you know, as a matter of fact. But we can't make that, we can't there's no way to prove that, but I mean, common sense tells you that that's the situation. I mean, you know, the situation with them is so obvious. There's not really a whole lot you can 
do or say, but I do think that um, he's likely to ask her to tone it down because, you know, it puts him in a very awkward position. There are people who are calling for his impeachment, as Monroe pointed out, and uh, he, you know, the, the Supreme Court, uh, there was, you know, before all of this, there was a sort of an aura of respectability going with the Supreme Court, even if you didn't agree with their decisions. But in this situation with him, and again, being that lone dissenter about, uh, you know, about turning those records over, uh, that uh, everybody else in the Supreme Court said, yes, a good idea. Yeah. You know, the, you know, the, yeah, so, when we get Judge Justice Jackson, it's going to be really interesting on the Supreme Court because she is black and smart, and he's just black. And and when she writes her dissenting opinions, uh, he's going to be embarrassed. So he he may step down simply because while he was a soul, since he's been the sole black on the court for 30 years, uh, whatever he said applied to everybody. But now you're going to get this woman who is aware and articulate and, and, and lovable. And he is none of those things. So it's, it's going to be real interesting to see them go up against each other. Well, you know, it's also interesting to look at Ruth Bader Ginsburg wrote some uh, some opinions on things that were in direct opposition to his, and that didn't move him at all. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you recall this, both of you guys, but he made a statement some years ago uh, where he said, uh, you know, some people don't like me or don't want me on the court, but, I, you know, I'm here to stay. Get ready for it, because I ain't going nowhere, yeah. which is which is the exact statement, you know, yeah. so... Um, it's unfortunate that there's a feeling uh, about this as strong as it was when she, when I have to admit this, when he got sick and was in the hospital for two or three days, uh-huh. you know, you don't want to, you don't want to think, you know, <laughs> maybe this is it, <laughs> but it's hard to not think that. Although, you know, that's uh, against Christian principles and I understand that, but it was as awful as he is. It's hard to not, think that way, you know, because I don't, I don't think he's going to step down. I don't think he's going to uh, walk away. He just, he, unless he's uh, really, really sick, it's not in his nature. So uh, I think as he said, we're stuck with him until the end, whatever that is. Yeah. I, I actually agree very much with you, Richard, on that point. Uh, and Monroe, I've always felt, get your reaction to this Monroe with Clarence Thomas, uh, that it's personal and it's like payback time. And from yeah. the moment he was uh, approved and uh, he ascended to the Supreme Court, I remember that quote uh, that Richard just uh, alluded to, and I've just felt, oh, yeah, like he's paying back a lot. There's a lot going on here, uh, and it's payback time, and I'm not exactly sure. I'm not a psychiatrist, and I don't know the man, but I, I really get the sense that it's personal. Uh, with him and a lot of his rulings. And I can't imagine, like as Richard was saying, him stepping down at all. And I just watch the response uh, to the um, revelations about how closely Ginny Thomas was uh, in working with these various actors to try to uh, overturn the election. 
Monroe, it's just staggering. You know what I mean? They're concocting all these gobbledygook legal justifications to overturn uh, the election. They, they try to, they basically, anywhere large numbers of black people voted, they wanted to throw out the votes. Milwaukee, Detroit, Philadelphia, Atlanta. Atlanta. They do it in Chicago, except, you know, like, I don't think they, they figured there was enough to really overturn Illinois. Do you follow what I'm saying? And right. she was part and part, parcel of all that. And he's not, doesn't feel he has to recuse himself. It's a shamelessness and a wolfiness. Go ahead. We should have, one week we should have a discussion on uh, comparisons of the Republicans and the Russians. And and the similarities and any differences there may be, but you know the big lie, the it is the, the hatred. The I mean, I I don't see a lot of difference between Russians and Republicans personally. But what they fail to understand, Monroe, is that if they were in Russia and on some issues they had a different opinion, they'd be locked up or dead. You know, so, I mean, that's the society that they live in. Let me, two more quick uh, observations about um, about the Supreme Court thing. And I hate to say this, but you got to give uh, Bush, I'm sorry, Bush Sr., got to give him a lot of credit. He chose a black man who he somehow knew would never support anything concerning his own, his own people. I mean, I don't know how he knew that, because if you recall, the... Uh, NAACP, I'm not sure all black organizations, but I do remember with the NAACP, there was a, a discussion about whether they should support this black man for the Supreme Court. And they went back and forth and trying to decide, you know, because he, he was a conservative and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, I think the decision was that, uh, you know, he'll be on the Supreme Court probably a long time. And surely he will, you know, his, his opinions and his, thinking about race and, uh, you know, all that's involved with that will evolve over the years. And so let's give him a shot. You know, we've got to support him. Well, that he never changed. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's, he's remained just as, just as he was when he came to the yeah. Supreme Court. So, uh, you know, I, Bush made a great choice. Let's face it. Yeah, for his perspective. But see, here, here's why, gentlemen, you cannot grow up in this country without – I mean, you may not admit it you're obsessed with race, but it's impossible. So just think about, Richard, the choice Bush made. There was a black man on the court who stepped down, Thurgood Marshall, a giant of civil rights. Absolutely. Okay? So George Bush felt compelled to replace a black man with a black man. It was almost like George Bush was a member of Richard J. Daly's Democratic Party. Remember that, Richard and Monroe? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it, it, if the old treasurer was black, the new treasurer's got to be black. You know, but and and so my attitude is it was exceedingly offensive to replace a giant like Thurgood Marshall with Clarence Thomas. It's exceedingly offensive, and I probably still haven't got over that one yet. But also, but it, was, I, it, it, it was an interesting political move, though. I mean, here's a, a guy who was, you know, Bush, who was a conservative, and, uh, you know, he, he found a black guy who was, you know, to, to, uh, to be the replacement, who um, he's got the right color, 
but his politics are like Bush's. So he said, well, you know, I can go with this. See, a lot of, I think a lot of politicians would not have taken the chance necessarily. I mean, yeah, replace a black guy with a black guy, but, um, you know, taking a chance on somebody who's black after Thurgood Marshall, who might at some point, uh, you know, find religion and say, well, look, we have to look at some of these cases and, and understand the implications of race. Um, but that didn't happen. I mean, he somehow he knew that this guy, if he was on for 30 years, which he, which he has been, he was, he was never going to change, yeah. you know? So he made a decision. I'm not, I, I'm not giving him commendations for putting this guy in the court, but I'm just saying politically, it, it was an incredibly smart move. How did he know that there was somebody who would never change? No matter what the situation, yeah, was. I don't know. It was <laughs> luck. You know? yeah. hey, but Richard, <laughs> look, think about this. I've heard MAGA people when they talk about critical race theory, they always say that's too much emphasis on race. I don't see race. I'm colorblind. I, I believe in a colorblind society. And then they always quote, quote Martin Luther King. From, right. uh, they always drag out that one part. <laughs> so I'm like, if you're so colorblind, why'd you replace Thurgood Marshall with a black man? Why did you, why did you, if you're so colorblind, if you don't see, why don't you replace Thurgood Marshall with a white conservative and then replace Warren Berger, let's say with Clarence Thomas. Could you imagine if they replaced a white man, a white justice with Clarence Thomas, Richard, do you follow what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, I do. There's the notion of colorblind can't replace a, if it's a black guy, we got to put a black guy up there, but we can't replace a white guy with him. All right, let's go local. Uh, and the headline. Let me just, let me just say, let me, let me just say one more thing about, uh, about this critical race theory stuff. Uh, I saw a morning talk show, uh, I guess the talk, one of those shows with all women and it had Condoleezza Rice as a guest. And, you know, Condoleezza Rice is very, very smart. She really is. And she's a staunch Republican and conservative. But she's a very smart person. What I, what I found to be difficult to accept was that the, the panel of ladies on that show did not ask a pertinent question. When they were talking about critical race theory, Condoleezza Rice gave, you know, the standard line about, you know, uh, this is teaching white kids maybe that, that they should feel guilty and teaching black kids that they are inferior somehow, blah, 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 blah. So we shouldn't teach critical race theory. First of all, nobody pointed out to her, critical race theory is not taught in American schools unless you're in law school or an optional course. It's not taught in schools, A. And B, if you, if you take out everything that involves race, like now the book banning thing, um, you know, with uh, the, book, the 1619 book that came out, you know, based on the... Uh, the uh, articles in the New York Times, mm-hmm. or To Kill a Mockingbird, which is another book that has been banned. So I would have asked her, those are situations where there, was, there, were, there were lynchings across the country and other kinds of things like that over the years, black men coming home from World War II in, the, in their uniform and going home down south and being lynched with the uniform on if they asked a question, when they got off the bus. So I would ask her, do you leave that out? Do you not teach history? That's history. That's critical race theory. It's kind of what happened. Yeah. And nobody on that panel, uh, Whoopi Goldberg was on that. She didn't ask the question either. And I thought, 
Man, so they really missed that one. They really missed that one. I would love to see her answer that question. Yeah, me too. I, it was she, that was when she was on the View. I saw that one as well. Uh, that was just, they they they, they uh, let her get away with that. They because no nobody really takes a deep dive on like critical race theory is essentially uh, what Monroe calls a dog whistle. So what oh, yeah. when they say critical race theory, what are they saying? You know what I mean? That's pretty much you got to read between the lines. Uh, and uh, I'm not quite sure I know the answer. One more, you have any thoughts on that? When they say critical race theory, what are they really saying? What they're saying is that anything that exposes the lies we've told for 400 years, <laughs> we don't want talk. <laughs> we want we want to pretend like everything's hunky dory. Yeah, that's exactly amen. Right. That's that's exactly amen. Right. Uh. All right, we. Well, I want to close down by going local. Uh, we're 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 almost in the. We're heading into a campaign season, gentlemen. Whether we realize it or not, uh, we're less than a year out before the mayoral election. Can't believe Lori Lightfoot's terms all like three years old already. Uh, yesterday uh, or this morning, I should say, Alderman Raymond Lopez announced he's going to run against Lori. He'll be coming on the show tomorrow uh, to talk about his campaign. Uh, Artie Duncan wrote an essay in today's Sun-Times. He dropped out of the race, uh, but sort of laying out the issues. And the the headline in the Sun-Times said, Lightfoot's flagging fundraising numbers. Uh, And in this article, Richard and Monroe, I don't know if you saw it, uh, the France Beelman juxtaposes uh, Lori Lightfoot's low standing with the poll and the polls with her relative, at least in contrast uh, to Mayor Rahm, uh, fundraising. Rahm had raised much, much more money by at this stage in his uh, first term uh, when he was getting, getting up for a re-election than Lori Lightfoot has, and they're both about equally unpopular. And the theme of the article is that if you're an unpopular mayor, you have to have tons of cash on hand to bombard the electorate with propaganda through TV uh, in order to brainwash them into uh, overcoming their negative attitudes about you and voting for you. That's my paraphrase of uh, what the article essentially says. Monroe's laughing at my paraphrase. Uh, so, Monroe, do you share that sentiment that because she hasn't raised as much money as Rom, uh, that uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot is in trouble uh, as we head into the election season? <laughs> Uh, You know, it's hard to say because basically it's going to boil down to who challenges her. If if she doesn't get a stronger challenger, then she'll she'll stay in power, even with her her rating. Uh, Because what's going to happen is most of us aren't going to vote. Yeah. And so if, if she pulls, if, if she just draws from the uh, gay community in Chicago, which she will have their support, then she, she can squeak by unless there's really a strong candidate. And I don't think um, the alderman is it, personally. Alderman I mean, Raymond all, Lopez. Yeah. Uh, he actually, uh, for, for the record, is, is a gay man, openly gay man. Uh Richard, your thoughts? Well, I kind of agree with Monroe. I, I think that, and as a matter of fact, the article to, that you referred to in the Sun-Times uh, said that she had $1.7 million at this point when, at the same point, 
uh, Rahm Emanuel had eight million, and they were saying that uh, the article said that if she has any chance of winning, she probably needs about fifteen million to be ahead of the game. And so this question of whether or not she can raise that, are there donors who will uh, contribute that? I think they said the highest donor she had is about somebody with fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, that, I mean it's a, it's a it's an issue. I don't think I think that if another if a candidate two if a couple of candidates run that you know split the vote in the primary, there's a possibility because there's nobody at this point, as Monroe pointed out, who is very strong. Uh, you know, uh, Raymond Lopez, uh, back of the yards, uh, West Inglewood. Yeah, but no, not a not a lot of impact in terms of your thinking about that. Um, and as Monroe pointed out. She needs more votes. The black community is kind of not thrilled at this point. Crime is out of control. People are getting shot, you know, on the expressway, carjackings and all of that. And um, there hasn't been a lot of response by the police department, not enough response by the police department with a plan. And um, she's going to, you know, take the hit for that. And so as Monroe pointed out also, yeah, her support will be from the gay community and also from uh, Monroe for the north side, uh, people who can kind of relate to to her politics. But I think unless, and I think somebody like Willie Wilson, you know, who did the gas giveaway and is talking about running for mayor again, well, he can't win, but he can, again, split the vote. You know what I mean? So uh, he's mad at her anyway because he was not included in her administration in terms of as an, an advisor. He claims she didn't even answer his phone calls. And, of course, remember, he stepped up and, uh, you know, got support from the churches to help her win. So, I, you know, I think unless there's a split in the, in the primary where two opponents who are not too great, but enough to split the vote, she may get in again because who else is going to be there? I think Marty Duncan would, would have been, would have presented a problem for her, but I don't see anybody else at this point. Yeah. Man, Arnie Duncan, she threw an elbow or two, and that was it, Richard. <laughs> she threw a couple elbows, and Arnie goes, ah, I don't think I'm going to run for mayor. Uh, Monroe, we'll close uh, with this thought. This popped in my head when I was listening to you talk. Uh, do you find yourself ever wishing, or missing, I should say, Rahm Emanuel as mayor of the city of Chicago? So much so, I've thought about moving to Japan. <laughs> <laughs> the ambassador. <laughs> uh, I guess the answer is no. Uh, reading between the lines, I'd say the answer is no. Richard, what about you? <laughs> same answer. Same answer. Same answer. Same answer. Let's make it a yeah. let's make it a trio. Uh, same answer. <laughs> you know. I mean, uh, any, you know, when you think about, listen, it's only one aspect of this administration, but the, just the, the, the part of it where they've withheld those tapes of, yeah. of shooting that kid, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and he got elected again. That, that was, that was awful. That was really awful. You know what I mean? And, and him lying about it and saying, well, you know, it was I didn't hold the tape back. Blah, blah, blah. That was terrible. And yeah. uh, I think of all the bad things that Chicago politicians do and get away with and still get elected, that had to be absolutely one of the worst ever you know I'll, I'll never get over that yeah. and i think monroe feels the same way you know right now uh, the, the truth be told i miss harold no, and i miss gene yeah. <laughs> and after that I <laughs> yeah <somebody. laughs> yeah no uh 
definitely uh, really miss Harold Washington. Uh, the great. They're, they're having a celebration. They're having a celebration of his 100th birthday. Uh, I think it's next Tuesday. Yeah. They asked me to MC the thing, uh, so uh, I'll be there for that. Well, you, you know, Richard, I don't know what I can't believe more. What's harder for me to believe that Harold Washington, if he were alive, would be a hundred years old. Or that Monroe and still, and still be the mayor. And still, and be, still the mayor. be the mayor all day. <laughs> now his twenty years would be up by now. No, yeah. I remember he said I'll be the mayor for twenty years. Right, exactly. That. Right. So I don't know which is harder to believe that Harold would be a hundred or that that baby faced young man I met in nineteen eighty two is seventy five. <laughs> Richard, which one is more it was harder to believe? Monroe Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> 75 unbelievable unbelievable now, you know what you glad you made it yeah i'm glad i made it and what's what's really something i've thought about more than once is that r- r- right now i'm seven years older than harold was when he died wow yeah so he was 68 right yeah yeah. Uh, no, he would have been, uh, let's do the math. He was born in 1922. Oh, yeah, you're right. Uh, he would have been, uh, he was uh, 65 when he died. Mm. 65. Uh, ben, I hate to tell you this. I hate to tell you this, but, um, you know, you're, I think, considerably younger than Monroe and I. But uh, when, you, when you start looking around at people in your age bracket and they start dropping off, you go, oh, that's not good, that's not good at all. Not a good sign. Um, Purpose Man passed away, yeah. the, you know, the blues man, Purpose Man, and Mary D passed away, you know, and this, you know, that, that really was a, uh, a depressing thought about staying here, being here and leaving here, you know what I mean? So, uh, in the meantime, we're here now, so we yeah. gotta do what we gotta do. Right. Exactly. Yes, sir. All right, gentlemen, uh, st- uh, I hope you stick around for a lot longer. And I'm not that much younger than Monroe, uh, Richard. Trust me when I tell you. Monroe will point <laughs> that out. Uh, we're all a little younger than you, but not that much younger. By the yeah, way, yeah, you're right. <laughs> uh, Monroe, we, I celebrated uh, Richard's 80th birthday uh, not too long ago on this, uh, on this same show. So it's birthday time on the Ben Jarofsky Show. I want to thank both of you. Monroe Anderson, every Wednesday, comes on. We talk politics and Trump. We didn't do a lot of Trump talk uh, this week. We'll make up for it next week, I'm sure. And uh, the legendary, he hates it when I call him legendary, Richard Steele, the real deal. (laughs) Richard, thanks for uh, coming on and wishing uh, Monroe a happy birthday. I really appreciate that. Hey, Monroe, thanks for the the props, Monroe. I really appreciate that. Coming from somebody who I really respect. All right, very good. That's uh, Monroe Anderson uh, and Richard Steele. I also want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, pride of Joe of Walton, Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. Really was true today. Uh, as Monroe and Richard will tell you back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D, and the D stands for Demarvelous. Take care, everybody. I want an answer. It's not something you ignore. I think you're 100% full of shit, is what I think.
face coverings.